All right, let's take our Bibles this morning and let's turn to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm looking at the second part of a message on uh, the Father's love. That really has to do with discipline. In fact, the Lord is saying to us here in this section of Scripture, trust me to discipline you. Don't misunderstand my discipline in your daily life. But instead, gain the correct information in the Word of God that speaks to you about my doings and my will for my beloved children. And that includes discipline. And in doing that, don't let anything induce you to abandon faith in Christ. Not worldliness. It will try to lure you from, lure you into loving things rather than loving God. And materialism also will tempt you to ultimately forget God and trust wealth and yourself and then think yourself dependent of God, not needing Him at all. Don't let family or friends or peers or social pressure. These may be factors to shaky, questionable faith. Cynical voices always casting doubt over the things of God and what God has said and the things that God deems the most important. Don't let suffering or persecution or discipline These things may tempt you to grumble, to complain, and even to despise God. And for some, to abandon the faith altogether, showing to whom they really belong. And don't let the unpredictable events of life shake your faith. These may work out in a way that will test your faith. But don't be surprised by these things. They're, they are tests given by God. They are trials for our faith because our faith must be tested to its genuineness, to its strength, to its endurance. It must be. You can't get out of that if you're a child of God. I was reading a short story about a, a, a father who, of course, was a grandfather too at the end of his life. He's in a bedroom, uh, in a bed in the hospital, dying. He's dying. His family's standing around him, and they ask him a question. Are you afraid to die? He lived his life by faith. He loved the Lord. He knew where he was going. And he just so, simply said this to his family. My father owns everything on both sides of the river. That's faith. That's faith. See, that's where we want to be. But it's not going to be without discipline. We have already learned. Look at back to chapter 10 for a minute. We already learned in chapter 10 of Hebrews that believers gave, gained an endurance through this particular thing. In verse number 32 of chapter 10, he says, But remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great 
conflict of sufferings, plural. This ill treatment came upon these believers as a direct consequence of their having embraced the Christian faith because they had become open followers of Jesus Christ. So in turn, all believers, all believers, we all must learn that through trials, your spirit will become stronger and your faith will become more firm. See, we need endurance. Verse 36 of Hebrews chapter 10, I've been saying that the proof of faith lies in perseverance. It lies in endurance. After that profession of faith, the rest of your Christian life, what are you doing? You're running a race. You're enduring in that race. And God, you're enduring to finish the race, to pass the goal line. That's what God's called us to. And it says in verse 36, you have need of endurance. That's what we all need. So presently, while we're alive, all of us have a great and essential need in that all of us need to continue to endure. And remember, endurance means to persevere. Also, absolutely and emphatically under misfortunes, under trials, under pressures, under the difficulties of life, and without holding and letting go Christ, but holding fast to our faith in Christ. Never giving that up, because that becomes the most precious thing in our life. That becomes the focal point. Christ becomes the focus of our life. Christ becomes the goal of our life. Everything is about Jesus Christ, not just the cross, because the cross has far-reaching, eternal implications for us every single day. Now, why do, we, why do we do that? Because trials force us to depend on God. Trials mature us spiritually and develop us in us a proven character. Trials purify, causing us to lay aside the weights that hold us back in running the race and hold the... And, of course, lay aside the entangling sins in our life, the things that so easily tempt us to get out of the race. Lay them aside, put them to death. You're able to do that now because you're in Christ. And trials cause us to long for heaven, long for God's presence. All these things are preparing us to run the Christian race, to reach the goal, to finish, to receive the reward, that's what it's all doing. It all has an eternal purpose for us. So in this second part, preaching on the Father's love, let's look over up to verse number 3 of chapter 12, because that's where I kind of left off last time, mentioned some things about it, but I want to begin there. It says this, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So here he's giving somewhat of a, of a solution on not to quit because Jesus is the goal of our race. He is also the companion in our race. He already has reached glory because he has already made the journey endured to the end and reached the goal we therefore are to rely on him for support and help 
we know from the word of God, he is the perfecter of our faith. That right now, Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father on high. And having endured the cross and the shame for us, now he is for us. And so it tells us here in verse 3 to consider him, and we are commanded to consider him in what way? Consider the perseverance of suffering that Jesus underwent. Consider also the opposition that he encountered from sinners against him. It says where who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself that the Lord himself did this. No one helped him to do it. He did it for himself for our benefit. So it really means to carefully estimate one object with regard to another. In, in other words, compare his unparalleled sufferings with the little the little that you and I have to pass through. We'll never be able and we'll never go through what Christ went through. Why? Because we don't have to. He went through it for us. But it doesn't mean that we're not, we're going to be exempt from suffering. We're going to be exempt from trouble. We're not. In fact, those are many things ordained by God for us. So in the scripture saying, listen, think about Christ, what he suffered for your sake, and the little we go through can't, can't be compared. For it says in verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. In his endurance of hostility from sinners, Jesus suffered death, and violence and death represent the supreme degree of opposition against in a struggle against sin. We never had to do that. Now, while those who, have, who received this letter had previously endured severe persecution, including back in chapter 10, reproaches and afflictions and imprisonments and dispossessions of their goods and property, they had not yet sealed their testimony with their blood. Now, some of the patriarchs that went on before them did. And today, there's a special group of martyrs that God's called to be martyrs in this world and all through the different generations, but that's a special group. Not everybody's going to be in that group. Most of us are in the group where we suffer the daily routine of life. The daily routine of living for our faith amongst family and friends and co-workers. So here's the purpose for considering Jesus in verse number 4 and verse 3. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So by considering Jesus, it will prevent us from growing weary and fatigued in our race. See, Jesus will enable you to remain under and hold out under the most severe strain. Why? Because he said so. He would do that. That's what he said. And God keeps his promises. Jesus had remained faithful in spite of great suffering. That's what he, the point he's making here. 
he was faithful in spite of great suffering. Now, some people would say, well, he was Jesus. I'm not Jesus. But he was a man, and that's the point of Hebrews 2. He was a man who took the full brunt of what evil can give him as a man. And he did not give out. He didn't call on heaven for it. He did it and suffered great suffering for our benefit. So, so the, the, here's the question that remains in this text. Can we remain faithful in the race in lesser suffering? We can, and we will, only if we avoid the dangers of misunderstanding the necessity and how necessary discipline is that comes from our Heavenly Father. Hence, this morning, let's consider three scriptural directives that will help us gain clarity and understanding. And I believe that's what he is doing here. He is clearing up for his audience, for his readers, what God actually does in discipline and what's the whole purpose of it. So they are, and this is applied to all suffering, all discipline, all trouble that comes our way because of God's, because you're God's kids and you're in God's family. And remember, God knows everything that's going on in your life, every detail that's going on in your life. There is nothing that he does not notice or does not know about. So here's the first directive, and it's simply this. Remember, remember the encouragement in divine discipline. Remember the encouragement. What's the encouragement? Well, look at verse number 5. It says this. For you have forgotten, for you have forgotten the exhortation, or the encouragement. The word exhortation is also translated encouragement in other translations. So he's saying here, listen, you have forgotten something, and what did you forget? You forgot the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. So let me just stop for a minute. What is, what's, the, what's the address? It says right there in verse number 5, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. Now, I covered that last week, so I'll not cover it this week. That's a quote directly from Proverbs chapter 3 in the wisdom literature about a young son growing up to be wise and listening to the voice of his father and his mother and then taking that information and applying it in a very specific way a way to his everyday life and part of that was the discipline that came to the young man because of the rod of the parents on their backside to drive away drive away rebellion and unbelief and disobedience and then also the reproof that came from the voice of the parents saying don't walk this way don't go there this is the difference between righteousness and unrighteousness, this is the difference between good and evil. This is God's way, this is every other way. And the young man begins to log that in and then begins to apply it to his life. And so see, the affliction that comes through discipline is necessary. 
for that growing young person as they grow up. Why? Because the only thing that's going to drive away rebellion and unbelief and disobedience is the rod on their chunk, the chunky side of their body. Right? That's the only thing. That's God's wisdom. That's God's wisdom. Jesus would have disciplined his son like that. As a matter of fact, he disciplines us like that. So, the children of God learn and respond to his discipline. And what, they, what do they do? Number one, they don't forget, but they remember, this is how my heavenly Father does things. Because it's right in his word. Uh, next thing is that they don't despise it. I covered this last week. They, but they accept it. Uh, they receive it. And they receive it with gladness. They receive it in this sense. I need this now. I don't understand why I need this now and all its implications, but I need this now. All right? And the third thing is that they don't faint and quit because their parents disciplined them, but they perseveringly endure. That's what they do. And, and why is that? Look at verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 12. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? There's the question. Now, of course, it is assuming the father is taking responsibility to do that job, right? And, of course, it's the wise father and mother training up a young man from being foolish and naive and possibly a scoffer to that of being a wise person knowing how to veer down the narrow path and not go down all the broad paths that are introduced to him. So here's the most plain and convincing evidence that you, that you truly belong to the family of God. That the, the heavenly father who is deeply concerned for his children chastises them. It is for discipline. It's, it is for chastisement that you endure. Why? Because you are my children. Now, however painful it may be at the time, painful discipline is necessary in order to rid us of unnecessary weights and entangling sins and things we're not going to take care of by ourselves. And then what it produces in us maturity that bears the characteristics of Christ himself. That chastisement, I love that old English word. Discipline, you know, it means you're going out to exercise. Chastisement, that's, I mean, it's, it's like the boom's coming down, man. You know, it, it, it's like the full weight there. This is a woodshed experience, baby. You know, and this is what you need at this time. And, and so that's, chastisement is applied to all God's children, not to kill us, but to correct us and to show we truly belong to the family of God as, Ill, as actually legitimate sons and daughters and special objects of God's care and love. Now, what was the encouragement in all that? 
Here's the first thing. If you have discipline from the Lord, you're in. You get that? If you have discipline from the Lord, you're in. That's, that's the encouragement. So God's not trying to do me in. He's not trying to do any of those things to harm me at all whatsoever. You are one of God's kids. That's the encouragement. That's the exhortation. This is what you ought to go away believing very firmly in your heart. Because, remember, if you're going to grow in faith, you grow in the character and knowledge of God. And so when you grow in the character and knowledge of God, then this is what's going to happen. You are going to realize, and it should be ringing in your ears with assurance. Wow, when God disciplines me, however that may come, it's because I'm in His family, and I have entered into that family through the suffering and death of Jesus Christ, which I don't have to go through because He was my substitute in my place, dying for my sin and making it available to me by faith to be right with the Father who's in heaven now. I am in God's family, and who now? I have a heavenly Father. Even if I didn't have an earthly Father, that I didn't know all those things, I have a heavenly Father now, and now the heavenly Father is going to correct in my mind what a real Father is, and what a real Father does. And so there's at least two things that we should never forget when it comes to God disciplining us. Here's the first thing. You should never forget that God is constantly at hand and His gracious help is ever available to us. That's what you should never forget. Why shouldn't you forget that? Because it's been said all over Hebrews. Look back at verse 2, verse number 18. Chapter 2, verse 18, where he says this, For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So who's able to come? The Lord's able to come to our aid, right? For those who are tempted. Why? He was tempted to the fullest extent of temptation. We are not. We give in way too soon he went the full distance and so therefore he knows exactly what we're going through he knows the power of temptation and he knows how to help you in it and aid you in it so you don't get pulled down and completely destroyed in it chapter 4 verse 15 and 16 of hebrews he says this for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. And then look at verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. When? When we need it. So when you're in God's family, even though he comes in and he disciplines you, and it may be through a great trial of suffering, it may be a small trial of suffering, but nonetheless, I should always consider God knows about this. He's ordained it for me. I want to respond to it in the right way. And I should, number one, remember that God's for me and his help is available to me. That means in discipline, part of it could be get to prayer and talking with God about what's going on in your life. And stop trying to handle it yourself. 
in the flesh by the world and by means that do not help. They just drag you deeper into depression and discouragement. It says here to be encouraged. God has help right there available to you. Do you believe that? See, it has to take faith. When I, if I believe it, I will pray and ask God for help. Lord, you know about what's going on in my life right now. You know, and give him the details. Give him the pain that's in your heart. Give him the thoughts that are going through your mind. Give him all of it. Why? He is wanting you and maybe using the discipline to bring you to depend on him. So you pray. Because this is where Satan wins the most. Keep God's people away from prayer keep God's people away from praying together give them a lot of good stuff to do fill their schedule so that never happens so we never feel the guilt of it because it's really not sin I've been, I had to do this this is something that was required of me and it goes on and on and on you don't think Satan wants to keep you there he does that's how skilled he is Hebrews 7:25. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. And then it says this, verse 25, he always lives to make intercession for them. So who's praying for us? Christ himself. Why? Those, we are his kids who know Christ. He's praying for us. Why? He knows the suffering we have to go through. He knows the difficulty of living in our bodies that have remaining corruption. He knows the temptations that you're being blasted with from, from all kinds of places. He knows that. But he wants us to come and pray as he's praying to the Father. For what reason? To keep us in the race. To keep us encouraged. Because we know all the lies that Satan can hurl at me at this point, hey, God's for me. I read his word. So you deal with him. This is what he says. So, you know, you can, you can throw all the lies you want at me about who I am and that I'm not worthy and that I don't deserve salvation and that God's not for me and that this discipline has come into my life because God actually hates you. That's all lies, right? How do I know it's lies? Because the word of God says God's for me and God aids me and all those things. So I should never, ever forget that God is constantly at hand and his gracious help is always available to me, always. Day or night, doesn't matter what the weather is, doesn't matter what time of day it is, it doesn't matter where you are, it's available to you. The greatest resources in the universe are available to God's kids right now, not in eternity now. There's a second thing that we shouldn't forget and we ought to remember and it's that anything we suffer for the gospel we suffer sometimes things for our own sin because of our own sin because of our own making our own problems but when we suffer for the gospel it should always point us to recognize that God so far from neglecting us, is actually showing himself to be a true father to us by treating us 
truly as his kids. You get out of line, you're in God's family, I'm going to get you in line. You want to continue in this sin, this sin is giving you pleasure, you don't want to take care of it, I will take care of it by sending you trouble. You have an entangling, encumbering thing in your life. Maybe you love something more than God. Maybe you're going in a direction you shouldn't, but it's not benefiting your spiritual walk, your spiritual life at all. God says, well, I'm going to send something to you to remind you that, listen, this is more important. I'm more important. The work of God's more important than you think that's important. See, that's what the Lord's going to do. Why? Because he is showing himself to be truly a father to his kids and a true father trains his kids not only with teaching but with discipline unto correction and a changed lifestyle and behavior and thought all those things included and more so when we understand we receive encouragement so this, this is what he wants the people to know. He wants us to know, listen, don't be discouraged. Be encouraged because I'm giving you the correct information about what I'm doing. Now, but on the other hand, in verse number eight, here's on the other hand, if you don't have discipline from the Lord, you're out. Doesn't matter if you made a profession of faith. Doesn't matter if you walked the aisle 15,000 times. If you are not disciplined by God, you're not in his family. That's what it says there. Look what it says in verse number. And it's got the if-then scenario. But if you are without discipline, verse 8, of which all have become partakers, in other words, all of God's kids must partake in the discipline of the Father. And then he says this, then... You are illegitimate children and not sons. Nethoi is the word. It's actually translated clearly. We don't use the word very much anymore. We, it's used in, used in a very derogatory manner, but bastards. You're, you're bastards. And a bastard is someone who has no known father. Or, there's another definition that goes with it, or that father is not sufficiently interested in his children to inflict on them discipline that fits his illegitimate children. In other words, he's an absentee, unconcerned father. All right? So the child becomes a bastard, illegitimate, because the father does not care enough to correct and discipline the child, the son, and direct him in the right way. Now, this passage gives, gives ample reason for deep concern that if someone does not experience God's discipline through painful correction, they are not God's children. They are not born again into God's family. They are without hope without God Satan is still their father and he is a harsh and heartless father his kingdom in his kingdom there is no light 
there is no truth. There is only darkness and lies. And that's where people are who are without discipline. So be sure of this, according to Scripture. Only illegitimate children are beyond the Heavenly Father's discipline. So today is a great day, a good day, to come to Jesus Christ. It's a great day to receive him as your Lord and Savior. If you've been around the church a while and you're a young person, all you want to do is have fun. All you want to do is, is do things you want to do, and you're not interested at all in the things of the Lord, and you really haven't been disciplined by him. You're just living two lifestyles, one outwardly and one inwardly. You know how to fool your parents. You know how to say things to the right people, but inside you don't care about any of this stuff. And God's never come in and disciplined you, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. If you've been in the faith for a while and God has never come. Now, let me say this before I just qualify this for a minute. It may not have been time for you to be disciplined by God yet. So that maybe that's why you're not disciplined by him yet. But there may have been times in your life you have been disciplined by him and you didn't recognize it as God's discipline. And you look back now as you matured in Christ, how wow, God was disciplining me back there. I didn't really understand. I was more confused back there, but now I understand. Because that time produced something in my life that nothing else ever produced. In fact, it produced what the Word of God said it should produce. So it's a great time. Listen, if you don't know where you're at spiritually, if you doubt your salvation to right there where you're at, Call on the Lord Jesus Christ and be, be ye saved, Charles Spurgeon would say. Be saved, man. That's, where it's all, that's what it's all about. Come to Jesus Christ and live. In fact, if you look at the second directive, the first one to remember, the second one is to recognize subordination to God's discipline is essential. Look at verse number 9. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Now, let me just stop there for a minute because I want to set this up for you. Here is what they call the lesser to the greater comparison in Scripture. Here's a contrast between an earthly father and, and his discipline and a heavenly father and his discipline. And what it's given here, it's giving this. It's giving the manner of the earthly father's discipline and the worth of it, and then it's giving the manner of the heavenly father's discipline and the worth of it. And I just want to, want to recognize, and it's really it's very clear and to the point for us, but look in verse the first part of verse number 9 and the first part of verse number 10 talk about the earthly father. And really the first one is this, that our earthly fathers we gave limited subordination to. All right, why? Well, it, it's interesting to note, though, what it says, it says in verse number 9, the first part, furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. That's, that's a real interesting comment. You know why it's interesting? Because fathers who make an effort to discipline their children gain their respect. 
See, that's not the modern day flow of thought in our society. But that is the flow of thought in scripture. They gain their respects. And we should respect our human parents who are disciplining us or who had disciplined us. We should respect them. That's a right thing to do. But what is the manner and worth of this earthly father's discipline? Well, if you look in verse number verse number 10, it says this. They disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. So this is how they did it. Number one, they did it for a short time. All right? Meaning this, they just had a little while while the children were growing up until they got to adulthood to discipline them. Usually after they get to adulthood, you really cannot harness them in anymore, right? They leave the home, they, they, do, they have other ventures they go on, so your discipline does change from that of corporal discipline to that more, when you get older, to more of a counselor. And it should be that way. But see, that's the earthly realm we live in. We have a very short period of time to take this, this young child and try to form them somehow into something good. Right? Because look at the next part of in verse number 10. They did it according to what seemed best to them. In other words, according to their pleasure. According to how they knew how to do it. And th- you know, this is the great baffling thing about parenting. Here's the baffling thing. You don't really have a, a manual to do it. Of course, we have the Bible. I'm talking about apart from the Bible. Most people... How do they do it? Well, I put some, some things together about my grandparents, if they were in my life, or my parents were in my life, or somebody I respected in my life. You kind of put all these things together, and you try to do it in your home, right? You read this book and that book, and usually it's all worldly wisdom, and you start doing it, and it, it ends up being a train wreck. Somebody was just talking to me yesterday that somebody he invited, uh, he invited to their party couldn't come because their son took their SUV and try to commit suicide and run it into a pole or something like that. The kids are, 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 they have a lot of things happening to them today. There's a, more kids today saying, I'm out of here, than ever before. In, in this United States, in which we have everything, and, and everybody wants, in the world wants to come here, and yet our own kids are missing something, and the reason why is because something didn't happen in the beginning. See, their earthly fathers were subject to the infallibility of human judgments, sometimes immoderately they dealt with their children, sometimes capriciously they dealt with their children sometimes they were swayed by favoritism between their children but presumably always with the best intentions in mind but no one could ever say well here's the goal this is what i want to do and 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 try to shoot at it because they didn't know where to shoot not until you get to the word of god you know where to shoot and and so we have parents who are who are permissive in their way they discipline. They have no boundaries in their home. There's, there's too much freedom in their home. There's, there's some love and concern in their home, but the kids can pretty much do what they want. And then there's the other one who's the neglectful parent who's there's no boundaries at all. There's no love because there's no boundaries because there's no communication. There's no interaction. Nobody eats together. Nobody does anything together. So 
there's no confidence and security in the kids. And so they go out into a world and they say, wow, I have to obey that guy? I have to actually listen to my boss? I actually have to do assignment in school and, and to pass this course and to get a degree? This is like, where's this coming from? Can't handle this. And then you have the authoritarian parent who has lots of rules and no love. And then you have the authoritative parents, which is more like the parent in Proverbs, who has lots of rules. There are boundaries, and they're clear. There's a regular scheduled thing going on in the home. There's penalties. There's a lot of love, and there's confidence and security. So when the child leaves the home, they have confidence and security. And, of course, they have a focus on what God wants them to do in their heart. The knowledge of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If that's in a young kid's heart, then the prayer of the parent for the rest of their life, even when they, they leave the home, is this. Oh, Lord, please put, continue to put in my child's heart a desire for them to love you and serve you. Not that they would get a great paying job. Not that they would be well known and famous. No, Lord, that they would put you first in all things. And that they would love you with all their heart. That's the greatest, the greatest gift that any parent could ever see happen in their children. Is when they leave the home that they're living for God. They're loving God. They're not perfect. They still have struggles. God's going to still deal with them. But the wise parent makes instructing their children the way of the Lord a priority. They not only instruct them, they live it. Nothing is more important than teaching the children about life from God's perspective. The realities of wisdom and folly, the realities of righteousness and wickedness, the realities of truth and error, as I mentioned, and the realities of God's way and all the other voices and ways that are going to be screaming at them, come follow me, come follow me. And the child will know from the word of God, no, I'm not going to follow you because this is what God says. So, saying all that, verse number 9 the second part of number nine, here is what we ought to do. We ought to give total subordination to our Heavenly Father. If we gave, gave some respect to our earthly fathers, we ought to give total subordination to the Father. Look what it says there. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits? Interesting way of putting it, isn't it? The eternal God who has authority over your souls. And then look what the little, little phrase at the end of verse number 9. And live. Be subject to the Father completely, the Father of spirits, and live. Well, that, that's interesting. Encouragement. And now, you want to know real life? Submit to God. You want to know real happiness and joy? Submit to God. So why? Because this ver little term, live, actually it refers to the true life 
that is to be possessed by the true children of the heavenly father meaning that the father is the source of all life so to turn away from him is actually to turn away from life and all over hebrews we have the word of god which is life we have the life that gives was given to us by the sacrifice of christ we have what we're heading for is eternal life everywhere we're talking about that has is connected with god is that we have life now that leads me to the manner and worth of our heavenly father's discipline that's why we should totally submit to him and it's found in the second part of verse number 10 so our heavenly father's discipline is in other words good for us look what it says but he disciplines us what for our what good all right, now that this means across the board that any time the Father disciplines, it's always, always, always for our good. See, earthly fathers can't accomplish that. So fathers be encouraged, what you couldn't do, God will do when your kids come to the Lord. Because they're not going to get away with, with God. You know why? God knows everything going on in your life. He ever and unfailingly with full knowledge of our persons and of the situations which we are placed in and in accordance with what is beneficial for us will discipline us. Not simply now, but at every leg of our Christian race, at every phase, of phase and stage of our spiritual maturity, and yes, forever, he will do it forever. It's going to be ongoing. And see, there, there's no higher desirable good that God could ever bring into our life than what is found in the last part of verse number 10. And this is our Heavenly Father disciplines us that we should share in his what? Holiness. It says, so that we may share in his holiness. Now, that word share, koinonia, we share. After God disciplines us, the purpose for disciplining us in this particular way, the goal for him correcting us, driving out sin that is still in us, but only in order that we may be more truly the children of God. That we may more clearly demonstrate the character of Christ in our life and be sure of this, that he would have us to be holy. Be ye holy for what? I am holy. So the purpose of God bringing suffering and trials and tribulations and discipline into your life is to so you share in his holiness. Are we as holy as we ought to be? Are we as holy as we should be? We're not. We're never there. But God's goal is that you'd be holy and that you would share in his holy, holiness. In fact, it was the Apostle Paul who told the Thessalonian church, and he said this, 
For God has not called us to impurity, but to what? Holiness. Or another word used in Scripture is sanctification. All right? He calls us to be set apart unto himself. Holy means those who have been set apart to God. So God's going to set you apart more and more and more unto himself where you'll be less set apart unto yourself and to others and to whoever else is trying to get your attention and wants you to do what they want, want you to do. He will set you apart unto him. And when he does that, you will share in his holiness. This is a special word used in Hebrews, and it points to God's holy character and that holiness, which is only essential to God's attributes. Therefore, God is the source of this holiness, and for all who are holy and who partake in it. So those who are holy are so only because they partake in his holiness and that means this, they have come through the discipline, they have received it, they understand why it's coming, they did not despise God in it, they actually welcomed it because they understood I need correction in this area, I need to put something off in my life in this area, I have not been a good testimony in this area, whether it's in your private thought life or it's a public thing that everybody knows about. Whatever it may be, see, God's discipline is going to make me holy. So when you pray, Lord, please, will you develop your image in me more and more? Will you make me holy? You know what you're praying, right? You know what you're praying. Thank the Lord he does it in the right way and in a loving manner. Commentator O'Brien says this, and I want to quote this to you. He says, since it is his intention, the Heavenly Father's intention, that believers participate in his holiness through loving correction, the clear implication is that apart from his disciplinary sufferings, it is not possible to share in his holiness at all. You got that? It's not possible at all to share in his holiness. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, don't turn there. It says, but this, by this we have been sanctified, here's that word for holiness, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, Verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected for all times those who are sanctified. So the minute you and I became believers, you know what happened? God starts the whole sanctification holiness process on you. And it's not going to end until you drop off these bodies and you're in the presence of holiness. Right? It's not going to end. In fact, if you look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, you can't even see the Lord without holiness. It says, it says, strive for peace with everyone and for sanctification. The old King James, it says, the holiness for the holiness and for the holiness 
without which no one will see the Lord. So strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness with, without which no one will see the Lord. I can't see the Lord without being holy. I must be made holy and set apart because that's the stamp of God upon me. And so therefore, when I am, then I will promise, there's a promise, I will see God. So the question is, See, shall we subject ourselves totally to the subordination of the Father and receive the profit that comes from the Heavenly Father's discipline? Shall we do that? We ought to do that. That's the point. That's what believers do. Because when we do, here's the last directive that we'll understand, and it's simply this in verse number 11. We realize, we realize the nature and purpose of all discipline that's imposed upon us by the Heavenly Father. And what is it? Well, let me just give you some of the nature of it. Verse 11, it's short-lived. All discipline for the moment. All right? That means there's going to be a beginning to it and an end to it. It's not going to be ongoing and forever. And you know what? Most discipline that's most effective is not long-term. People who go to prison for their life usually end up being worse at the end. Because they were never corrected and brought to a place for them to see their evil and sin. It was Paul who told the Corinthian church, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison and then he says this while we look not at the things which are seen but the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporal and the things which are not seen are eternal it's short lived and then secondly in verse 11 it's painful he says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Right, exactly. It's not joyful when you're going through it. It's painful. Discipline is a consequence of not heeding correction often, and it is an unpleasant consequence. It hurts, in other words. The purpose of discipline is instruction and correction. In fact, from Proverbs where it says, he who spares his rod hates his son. I don't want to hurt my little son. But he who loves him disciplines him diligently. All right, son, come on. Let's go do it again till you learn how to change this behavior, till you learn how to correct your attitude. And of course, it all also can be by just the Father's voice. It doesn't always have to be the rod to the back. There's a point where the, the voice is... You, your children know exactly the tones of your voice. Right? Just like you know how your different dogs, your dogs bark, the different barks they have. You know, one bark is, let me in the house. Another bark is, it's raining outside, let me back in the house. You know? Another one's, I'm hungry. You know, or somebody's at the door and they bark incessantly. You know, you know all that. Well, see, our children know the tones of our voice 
when we're really serious and when we're just fooling around. And you should be fooling around a lot of times. You need to lighten up. You and I need to lighten up sometimes. Enjoy life. Enjoy life. God wants us to enjoy things. Chastisement means to inflict pain, Proverbs. It means to inflict suffering upon the individual with controlled force with a view to amend behavior. There's a, always a goal in wisdom, always a goal, never random, never flailing, never in anger, always controlled in private, know why they're getting disciplined, tell them why they're getting it, do it quickly, uh, make it painful, and, and they're off and running, right? That's what you do, it's over. That's how God does it. So the Heavenly Father will teach us things that are extremely important to us through our troubles that we would not easily receive if everything went well with us all the time. And then there's a third thing about the nature of discipline, and it's this. Notice in verse number 11. It says simply this. All the discipline for the moment seems to be not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceable, peaceful fruit of righteousness. In other words, here again is the goal. It yields a rich harvest of right living. It yields a rich harvest of right thinking, of right behavior. In fact, the purpose of it from verse number 11 is that this discipline will produce well-trained, spiritually tough Christians. Yet, to those who have been trained by it. You know what the word train comes from? You know what the word we get from this Greek word trained? Gymnasium. God brings us to the gym in discipline. He brings us to the gym. For what reason? To make us strong in faith. To make us strong in our understanding so we endure in the race. So we are obeying God more. So we are laying aside the weights and sins that entangle us. And God's replacing that what? With fruitful, right attitudes and right living that pleases him because it produces well-trained believers. And then secondly, it produces inward peace. It says afterward it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness. Inward peace. Inward peace. It was Isaiah. I ran across this verse. Isaiah chapter 32. It says this in verse 17. And the work of righteousness will be peace and the service of righteousness, quietness, and confidence forever. And verse 18, then my people will live in a peaceful habitation and in secure dwellings and in an undisturbed resting place. In other words, discipline actually ends in quite a different way than we would ever imagine. It actually gives you inner peace. I think for, for several reasons. You know what God, who, who your Heavenly Father is. You know why it's being done. You know you needed it. And you know what it produces. 
It's going to make you a better believer, a more serious and sober believer. And then it produces moral uprightness. After it, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's really righteous behavior. If Christ's image is going to be stamped on me, Christ perfectly obey the Father, then when I am trained in holiness and when God disciplines me correctly, what's going to happen? I am going to actually have my attitude corrected, my behavior corrected, and sometimes the whole direction of my life corrected when God disciplines me. See, so what happens is that I'm peaceful. I'm living the way I wanted to live, but I couldn't live this way until God disciplined me. God's changed my whole thinking on this, on the matter, and so I I couldn't change my thinking myself. I, I had too many blind spots, but God, through discipline, cleared up my thinking, and now I'm thinking righteously. I wanted to change my behavior towards my wife or towards my kids, but I couldn't do it. I just, I always went back to the old flesh, but through discipline. God brought me to change how I responded in those situations, and it bore fruit of righteousness. The fruit on the branches weren't, are not anger anymore. The fruit on the branches are actually peace and joy. Why? Because God took the time as a loving, caring father, to apply the needed pressure in your life to get you where you ought to be on the road to holiness. That's what he does. And he's good at it. But you know his motive and his intention behind it. So this period of discipline is followed by enjoyment of peace and right living and the ultimate enjoyment that you are truly God's kids being prepared for the enjoyment of his presence for all eternity. That's where it's all heading. So we who are God's kids should be encouraged today. The biggest proof of being a believer is God spanks you. And if you don't have discipline, you should be deeply concerned about your soul. Come today and believe in Christ. If you don't know how, or you don't know what to do, talk to me or someone else, and we'll show you from the Word of God what God requires for you to repent of your sins and believe in Christ by faith alone. Amen? And be saved. If you are a believer, rejoice. Thank the Lord for where you're at right now. And if you can remember times of discipline in your life, praise him for it. That's what I was doing this week. I was looking back on my life. And I was looking from the time I trusted Christ to all the things that the Lord disciplined me in, uh, sometimes very severely, sometimes not so severe. But each time it was for a, a correction in my direction, a correction in my behavior, a correction in my, the words I was using, a correction in my attitude towards people, a correction in my prayer life, in my study of God's word, a correction that made me more serious and sober to want to do what's right and pleasing before the Lord. All those things. And just, just thank him for it. That's what you ought to do this week.
and, um, and then sit back and enjoy the peace and the righteousness that comes afterwards. The confidence that you have you, that comes with being a real believer and being in God's real family where God really deals with us and just praise him for it. Let's, let's bow together in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for clarifying for us by the word of God this matter of discipline. Thank you, Father, that you are a good and a caring God. And Father, I pray that our attitude towards you would always be that of, of not forgetting what it's all about. It would be that of not despising or fainting or quitting. It would be that of submitting to you totally because you can be totally trusted in your intentions, in the means in which you use, and in the goals and the fruit in which you will produce in our life as believers. Thank you for what you'll do and what you have done, and, and I praise you for it. Help us now to remember your word as we go our way. And this week, I pray that it be a time of, of examination and a time of the prayer of rejoicing and thankfulness for what you have done so far in our life. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together.